HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Adria Campbell, Chief Revenue Officer at Malk Organics, the premium plant-based milk company making dairy, gum, filler, gluten, GMO, oil, and lactose-free drinks. Adria is a key reason why you're starting to see Malk in all your favorite retailers and why the brand is growing significantly faster than the alt-milk category. Malk is available nationally at Whole Foods, Sprouts, and HEB, along with Air One, The Fresh Market, Publix, Harris Teeter, and many more. Welcome, Adria. Thank you. So my team always kind of um, lovingly makes fun of me because they're, I guess I'm like a LinkedIn junkie, even though I, I pride myself on not having any other social media. Right. And I'm like... I feel like there are just these brands that are like in the zeitgeist or there's just momentum behind them. Something's happening. And sometimes it feels like they just had a really good launch. And sometimes it feels like they just got an influx of cash. But in your case, it just feels like you're really gaining distribution. And that's why I really wanted you to come on um, because it it's palpable and it also... I feel like this is a time where, you know, we're all kind of bemoaning CPG and clearly you're, you're clicking into something right. And I just want to get as close to that as I can (laughs) for our listeners, because, um, I have a hunch that you're onto something. So 
Did I say welcome already? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. And, and th- okay. Thank you for having um, me. <laughs> yes. So anyway, tell me everything. Um, you know, A, I guess I'm right, right? Yeah. I mean, Malk as a brand is growing 75 times faster than the category. And a lot of that does have to do with new distribution. Um, a good chunk of that is also um, growth and velocity, which we obviously love to see too. But um, w- while the growth has been has been really really fun, um, there's so much more um, for Malk in, in the coming years, and I think we've we've really graduated from that kind of proof of concept in the natural channel phase yep. to that turning point um, where we're starting to win and get distribution uh, within Mulo. So that that's uh, that's the fun part. Yeah, and that's actually a really good place to start because. So from my understanding, it kind of came on the scene in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, is that right? Yes. And then was it, you know, for the first seven years, let's call it, was it sort of that, like, let's really prove this out in natural and then, you know, go to the conventional, you know, out from there? Because that is yeah. like a classic CPG playbook, but it's not necessarily one that I'm hearing a lot of. I'm hearing people going straight to Target, people going straight to Walmart even. Um, so tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, so with, with Malk, it was definitely more of the, the classic approach. And especially, and I imagine it's because Malk is, is more of a natural brand to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being clean ingredient, being organic, being premium. It, it proved itself actually in, in the farmer's market. Um, and then right. uh, proved itself um, at Whole Foods and then got, you know, broader expansion at Whole Foods. And then it's really just been in the last two plus years that um, it's really hit that meteoric uh, trajectory um, yeah. that, 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 you see, that you see in the data and, uh, and on LinkedIn. Yeah, no, it's interesting because it really, it's like, you know, everyone wants that inflection point. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all trying to chase them and sometimes we manufacture them, Yeah, you know, but it, it, it feels like it. And I guess going back to the question, you know, you know, there's the, there's two ways to grow mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right? There's, you know, you got to grow with slots and distribution, but also ideally you are growing in that velocity in the same stores that yes. you've been in. Absolutely. How do you as a team think about that? Because I think that's something that is always a little bit up in the air for emerging brands. Like, is that sales? Is it marketing? Like, what's the KPI around velocity? How do you map it out for the team and how do you think about it internally? I mean, for, for us, it's, it's, your tra- it's your traditional units per store per week and dollars mm-hmm. per store per week. And so mm-hmm. when I joined Malk, it was, it was two years ago, like right, really right when we were starting to, to kind of put gas on the fire uh, with the brand. And mm-hmm. it was really, really important for me when, when I came on board during my interview process, um, our CEO, Jason Bronstad, shared with me, you know, some of Malk's velocity or performance at Whole Foods, which was extremely important to me because I wasn't about to join a brand where their number one retailer, you know, they, they weren't performing uh, at. Mm-hmm. And so he showed me the velocity performance at Whole Foods and I, I basically started foaming at the mouth. I'm like, this is, this is exciting. Like, I, 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 yeah. I, had, I had not seen velocities like that in this type of category 
um, even, you know, in, in dairy milk. And so, yeah. you know, with that little peek under the tent, I just knew that there was so much more of a story to tell. And at that point, Malk hadn't leaned in that heavily into the data and really built that story. Um, right. and, and for me, I knew I could, that's what I could come in and do. And so knowing that the velocities were there and they were growing was a really great start. And now, yeah. you know, now this is something that we can, we can really create that story about. Where, how did, what were you doing before that you knew that yeah. you could do it? Yeah, so I spent, over, <laughs> I spent over a decade at Dean Foods, which is, or was right. the, the largest dairy manufacturer in, in the country, you know, doing over mm-hmm. $8 billion of, of, of sales nationally. And so, you know, seeing, um, I mean, on, like the funnest part for me about working at Dean was there was a lot of M&A. Um, mm-hmm. And there were a lot of brands, really cool organic brands that they acquired while I was there that I got to work on, like Uncle, mm-hmm. like Uncle Matt's Organic Juice. And so mm-hmm. I, I knew that emerging brands is where I wanted, you know, where I wanted to go next. Um, right. And th- when this opportunity came around, it, it, was, it just lined up perfectly. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it. It's so interesting. It's, it's I mean, it's a hard function for mm-hmm. people. It's a hard function. It's a hard one to find a team that meshes with the rest of the team. It's hard to, it's, what do you think, I mean, for, for founders, you know, brands that are hiring sales, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's also, I've had a couple of different people on here. It's one of the ones also that's a very expensive function to build out well if you don't have the revenue. Right. And on the other hand, you kind of feel like you need to spend on it to invest in the right team to get you the revenue. Right. So, I mean, if you were if you were advising, you know, a, a let's call it a 2 million, you know, 3 million dollar emerging brand that clearly have something going on, they're doing well and natural. Like how would you advise them to build out the sales team? Well, it's it's, it's definitely going to be founder specific, right? Cuz a, a lot of founders are their brand, they're the face of their brand, they're the ones going in and selling themselves, and that's mm-hmm. great. Um, but then there are a lot of founders who that's not their that's not their forte and and they really do need to hire somebody who can be um, the one going in and you know and selling you know, on their behalf. And so, you know, if, if you're, if you're a founder that, that needs someone to go do that for you, then obviously that, that's a, that's a must hire because that's, that's your revenue. But even someone like me, right? Mm -hmm. Like I am definitely the show pony. You put me in front of the buyer. (laughs) I tell them the story. I've been cooking for 25 years. Mm -hmm. I understand home cooks. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily a closer, and I'm also not going to be the one who's going through the OI and the TPR and mm-hmm. when are we doing the, the thing and the other thing. And then I'm definitely not the one managing whoever is supposed to get that paperwork done. Like that's where you just, I have a drop off like, yeah. into the depths of hell. Um, so, but I, I also have never really considered myself really the head of sales, mm-hmm. right? I'm sort of like, you bring me in, you know, I'll go cook, that kind of thing. I feel like you're head of sales and, and, you know, my key focuses when I first joined Malk were, were, were three things. It was, you know, build a lean, but rockstar sales team that, that yeah. has fun and, and, and delivers the results, 
Um, it was to, you know, utilize data and invest in the data to build the story that buyers can't ignore. You know, they, they, yeah. they can't, you know, the, the category, the consumer, the incrementality, the, you know, all, all those important nuggets of information that, that buyers need in order to feel comfortable taking a chance on, on your emerging brand. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then the, the third thing is, is, is strategy. You know, map out our ongoing three-year retailer strategy by channel, by geography, deliver the, the points of distribution, grow the velocities and, and, and rinse and repeat. And then I think, you know, as a CEO um, of a, an emerging brand, it's, it's, it's tough to do all those things. And so hiring yeah. someone who has the experience and who has done that before um, is, I would imagine, has got to be one of your first hires, one of your first big hires. Yeah. Going back to the strategy piece, mm-hmm. you know, it, again, I'm not a sales person. I've been doing this just long enough to like think that I know something, but not long enough to actually <laughs> know much. Um, so to me, it seems like you open a UNFI, let's say you get Whole Foods, mm-hmm. you know, three regions of Whole Foods. Yeah. The minute that you open that UNFI DC, to me, everything becomes about who's pulling from that DC. Like it feels like a lot of sales is a little spray and pray e. Like mm-hmm. you're you're hoping for these retailers, but I feel like there's a way to do it. And I feel like this is kind of what you're saying, like by retailer, by geography, by by DC, right? Like if it, why am I talking to Nugget if exactly. I don't have a way of getting them if they can't open it? And if they right. can open it, then I should be talking to them and the three other somewhat smaller retailers that also pull from whatever UNFI yes. warehouse that is. Yes. Is that that and th- yeah. that's fair, but but I would argue that your focus when you open up the three regions of Whole Foods or, or the you know the three DCs call it UNFI DCs that send product to Whole Foods shouldn't be the other independents that pull from those DCs. It needs to be Whole Foods, you know. So right. if you don't get it right at Whole Foods, who cares about all of those right. other independents? You know, you have to get it right at Whole Foods. So all of your effort, all of your your planning, all of your you know promotional activity needs to be you know the support of Whole Foods. All that other stuff yeah. is just gravy. Okay, so let's talk about getting it right at Whole Foods. <laughs> so it's funny because I just, I had a call with my team and, you know, we have this new product. I don't know if you know anything, like if you hear me talk about it at all, but we have a shelf-stable condiment that's coming out and, you know, we are, um, we're all about Whole Foods, right? Mm-hmm. So, but we have to be careful not to spread ourselves too thin. And we're back talking about demos. And it's funny because we didn't talk about demos for a few years. Now we're sort of like, I don't know, there's something about like getting it in people's mouths and no, it's hard to track and you're not necessarily going to get the repeat, but maybe whatever. Like, when you say get it right at Whole Foods, what would you say is the cocktail? And I know it's definitely, you know, product specific and all that. But generally, you know, how how would you, what are the things that brands can't ignore? So I, I do agree that demos are effective, but they are a killer. 
uh, to your P&L, just absolute yeah. killer. And so I, I think driving trial and awareness is, is obviously it's mandatory, but I, Mike Malk will not do that via physical demo anymore. Um, yeah. we use, we use social nature. So yeah, we use social nature too. I had yep. Anna Lay on here. Yep. It, honestly, like it, it's such an amazing, I mean, again, it's expensive, but you know, there, you get, you get emails, you get reviews, you get a, like a dedicated group of people that are psyched to try your product. And- yeah. And you have full control over it. You know, if you want people to go to Whole Foods, they have to at the, as a, as a part of the, the, um, what do you call it? The context. So if, if, right. you, if you want to get it right at Whole Foods, you know, part of the query is, do you live within three miles of a Whole Foods? Do you shop at Whole Foods? And yeah. you can filter out those people and, and make sure you get the right consumers, you know, demoing your product versus, you know, any random person who happened to be walking the aisle, um, you know, at, yep. at the Whole Foods. So we, we're really, really bullish on social nature. And like yeah. you said, those, those reviews are, are actually really, really great too for, for when you're yeah. launching, launching new products, getting, getting reviews is a big deal. Yeah. And I mean, just for everyone listening, I do, I don't know what number it is, but I have a whole podcast with Analea from Social Nature. It sounds like a paid like <laughs> advertisement because I mean, again, it's like anything else you need to learn. I mean, Courtney on our team is like amazing at squeezing that lemon. She right. knows how to ask the right questions. She knows how we have flows for different social nature campaigns. So we can like email target people because like through the campaign that they did with social nature. And I think we have something like 12,000 syndicated reviews of a product that has never really been sold online, except for like a couple months during COVID. Right. And you can upload those reviews to target and, you know, et cetera. So it's, it's a win, win, win. Um, all right. Interesting about the demos. I, uh, Okay. All right. I'm going to think about that. The, 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 the only other retailer that we do demos with, because it's just a part of that retailer strategy is Costco. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, yeah, we've got that, we had just did a rotation in the Bay area a couple months ago and demos were absolutely a part of that. And, you know, and and they work. So we'll, we'll do that with Costco. All right. I'm going to think about this. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk all about communication and data and all sorts of fun stuff. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm back with Adria Campbell from Mulk. Okay, so I'm going to just go in order because even though it's not really in order of anything. Okay, sales is 
Did you ever play when you were growing up? It was like a game called Foursquare. And there's like someone in like the, the, the main square and they're like, tea party with Allie. <laughs> and it's like, I send to that person, that person sends back to me. I send to the other person, that person sends it back to me. I feel like that is sales. They're like, they're in contact with the outside world. They're in contact with operations. They're yes. in contact with the outside world. They're in contact with marketing. Yep. And I guess my question is, again, going back to what are the systems, you know, do you have, do you think it's necessary to have a sales ops person, for example, or what are the systems that you've created that make that handoff? Like once you're in, once you've got it going on, or even if you are in and you need a little bit of bump, you know, how do you how do you communicate best, I guess, both with marketing and on the other side with operations? So I've, I've seen it done both ways where you have, you know, an account lead who is responsible for getting the sale. And then once the sale is in, they hand it off to somebody who's responsible for sales execution. And I've, I've found that I really don't like that. Um, mm-hmm. Because the person receiving that information, call it the retailer, is the same yeah. retailer who, you know, and so it's, it's not like they want to talk, to talk to a second person, someone right. who, you know, who just sold them and then ran away. It, it feels very, right. you know, very software salesy that way. And I just don't like that. And yeah, so, that makes sense. you know, the, if it's a specific to a retailer, that sales director owns that account through and through. They may have a sales support person who's on our team who supports all of our, um, all of our sales managers and directors. Um, who's responsible for paperwork, but all of the communication between, you know, Malk as an organization and that retail partner, that external partner, whoever it is, is owned by the salesperson who owns that account, period. And then what about internally, like communicating to ops on, you know, in terms of, you know, demand plan or, or to marketing saying, okay, you know, we need to do these three banner ads or they want us to participate in this thing. Like, Yeah, and, and again, that, our, that sales director who owns that account owns the communication cross-functionally. I think Got it. it's probably pretty nice that Malk is still of a size where, you know, we're still less than 30 people where, you know, it's not like we have as much structure as a, you know, 10,000 person Dean Foods. <laughs> Right. right. <laughs> but, um, so I think we we navigate pretty seamlessly with each other, with whoever owns that account or owns that project, owns it through and through. And if they need support, right. support exists on the team, but but they're still responsible for the ownership of that of that project. And do you do it through like a CRM or do you just do it through Slack or email? Like, is there a place like one source of truth somewhere where if someone is missing information, they can just go look? So a, a little bit of a little bit of all of it. So we have a SharePoint uh, where all mm-hmm. of all the documentation, all sales documentation, selling materials, line review decks, spec sheets, mm-hmm. all of that is housed as one source of truth on SharePoint. And then the the communication between parties cross functionally um, is is mostly through Slack. Um, Got it. And I'd say you know as an organization, Malk is a very meeting light company, which. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we try to protect our calendars from clutter, um, you know, so that that's very helpful. So I think, you know, I feel like people feel like they have 
the time where if something is a fire drill, it's not, oh, I'm stuck in meetings all day. I can't, I can't get to you. So right, I think, right. you know, our, our calendars, I'm very thankful for this. Our, our calendars are, are pretty, are pretty light on meetings and it gives us the ability to flex um, in communication with each other throughout the day if we need to. Okay, so that actually leads into my next thing because I do see a lot of what you're posting and it's very clear that culture means a lot to you. Mm -hmm. And it seems very clear that you've also grown a team that (laughs) culture plays a big part of. And, you know, I'm always, I always poke into the culture thing because I'm like a, it's built in everyday ways as opposed to it's built by having like a big party and a beanbag, you Mm -hmm. know, but (laughs) I guess my question for you is like, you know, part of the reason it's funny because I would say that I'm the one on the team that likes meetings, um, partly because I like everyone on the screen or in the room so that everyone can just like hear what's going on and know what's happening. And there's something to me, I think it's probably an age thing because I've, I've definitely talked to a lot of younger founders and they don't feel the same way, Mm -hmm. but I'm just kind of an in-person gal, even if it's in person on zoom, you know? Oh, totally, Um, totally get that. And, and, And everything that we have what, you know, for communication throughout the day, if it's, you know, someone slacks somebody, it, it is via video. So even though I'm the only one out of our 30 person company who lives in Minneapolis, I don't feel like I'm not in the loop or I'm not seeing people every day. So, right. you know, I, I, I do feel like there's a, there's a delicate balance there that exists that if you, yeah. if you get it right, um, it's, it's a good, it's a good mix. So what, I mean, in, in our case, like we have a team meeting every Monday where mm-hmm. everyone's on and, it, you know, candidly, like there's not that much information from one Monday to the next. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes there's a lot of information, but most of the time it's like, yep, we kind of went through this last week. Nothing really new to report here or no new wins or everything's OK. Um, do you guys have any sort of set weekly I mean, all hands, I can't imagine with 30 people, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah, so we, um, as a leadership team, so our exec team, we we meet Mondays and Fridays just to touch through, Mm -hmm. hey, how'd the week go on Friday? And on Monday, you know, what's, what's coming up for the week? Uh, my sales team meets for 30 minutes every Monday to go through, hey, what's, what's coming up this week and what resources do we need? Sales mm-hmm. and ops meets weekly. Uh, sales and marketing mm-hmm. meets biweekly to touch about, you know, mm-hmm. hey, what, what can marketing, which retailer launches can marketing support or, you know, what, what, else, right. is, what else is coming up? Um, but but out, outside of that, it's, it, it, really is, it really is ad hoc. Yeah. No, that's actually incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is going to be very helpful for people. Good. As a side note. Thank Great. you. Okay. Going back to, you know, what you, what you said, you know, great team, mm-hmm. you know, data. Um, so, and, and then you said something later, which was like data that buyers cannot ignore. Right. And I think, you know, that's going to be really critical. It's been critical in 23. I think it's going to continue to be critical in 24. I don't know about your category. It's almost like amazing when anyone actually writes back or is in time (laughs) or resets at the time they say they will or, and I get it. I really feel for the retailers and the buyers. I, I understand the whole ecosystem 
was sort of being supported by all of this cash and now it's kind of not. And it's, it's hard. And the consumer is in a weird place and labor is in a weird place and everything's in a weird place. So it seems to me even more important now than ever that like a cool story with a fun founder and some buzz is not going to do it. Right. They need to really de-risk as much as possible because they don't get the chance to reset that often. And when they do, it's much more expensive than it used to be. And so I, I think what you're talking about with like a data story they can't deny. Mm-hmm. I mean, tell me a little bit about what that looks like when you're talking to a buyer. Yeah, the biggest thing for us right now is incrementality. So we have to prove to the buyer that by adding one additional facing of Malk and removing one facing of another brand, that we are actually growing their category. So that it's not going to be a one-for-one swap. And Mm -hmm. I'd say a year ago, we were a little bit less sophisticated. We were doing our own math, you know, based on, okay, we do you know, $50 per store per week and they do 35. So the incrementality is 15. Well, we don't actually know because we didn't, right. we didn't buy the, the data before that actually, that actually proved that out. And so one of the big investments or the two of the big investments that we made this year were about, you know, about just that. So um, Nielsen IQ has this, um, this uh, the software called Shelf Architect and we found out that a lot of our buyers use it. And so, you know, we can see what they see when they're evaluating their category. And so that, mm. that is huge for us. So we can say, hey, based on Shelf Architect, Malk is the, the highest incremental brand in the entire category. And by bringing in Malk, this is, this is you know, the true dollar value um, based right. on data that you've said that you trust and respect um, within, the, yeah. within the industry. So that was, that was a big one for us. And then yeah. the other one um, was a numerator, and that gave us a breakdown of what percentage our growth is unit growth, what percentage of our growth is premiumization, and what mm-hmm. percentage of our growth is coming from brand switching. And so being able wow. to tie that all out, you know, just really set us up in a position where we can have meaningful conversations with our buyers about how Malk will perform in their set and give them just a little bit more peace of mind, knowing that, again, they're, they're taking a chance. They're de-risked. Um, yeah, yeah, they're taking a chance on us. What's so. that one called, the breakdown of growth? Uh, that's, yeah, that, um, that one's out of Numerator. Okay, mm-hmm. very, very cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so that makes a lot of sense. I mean, those are, I think, you know, founders, we... I think we had it really easy for a few years, honestly, and I think things just got real. Mm-hmm. And if you're a buyer and you're going to be, you know, I mean, most of my friends are saying that their categories are now not resetting annually anymore, <laughs> that they're resetting closer to every 18 months, and that there are these little cut-ins or little touches yeah. along the way. And they're not going to touch it with you if you're not as de-risking, you know, as possible for them. For like, sure. It just doesn't make sense to them. So I think this is all really, really helpful. Great. Okay. Next thing. 
you guys seem to be doing a lot of collaborations, like yeah. with Erwan, mm-hmm. for example. Celebrity smoothies. You know, I always thought of Erwan as a bit of a marketing channel in a way. Like, I think we're not in it, so I don't know. But it seems like it's definitely an awareness builder. I don't know at the end of the day what it does for, you know, your bottom line, but I, yeah. I'm not sure that it matters. So I guess question here is A, what say you? <laughs> B, <laughs> you know, internally again, is that like a marketing relationship or is that sales and then you get, you know, who who's holding that, I guess, internally? So s- sales definitely owns the relationship with, with Erwan. Um, and I, I will say that working with Airbon has been so much fun. I, I have yeah. to tip my my hat to to Heather Seiler, our, our sales director on my team, who brought this partnership um, to us. Mm. And she led with, I know this is expensive, <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. an opportunity to win where our most valuable customer shops. Mm-hmm. And and she was right. I mean, it, it started off the, the the first smoothie partnership we did. Um, was a hit. It, it went viral. I was this this gorgeous blue cloud smoothie with uh, with Mariana Hewitt as this as the celebrity partnership. I at the, at the time had to look up who that was, but Heather instantly right. knew. You know, Heather instantly knew who she was. So I was like, okay, you know, all right. You know, and she had you know a couple million followers and stuff. And she's got this brand called Summer Fridays, which is a makeup brand. And um, mm-hmm. but you know, it, within a month, we became Erwan's number one plant based selling. Uh, plant-based selling milk at retail. So not outside, right. outside of the smoothie bar. So the, wow, right. it turned, it act, we actually were able to tie, you know, the increase in sales to the exact timing yep. of the partnership with the smoothie. And so it was, that was, that was a very one-to-one clear ROI uh, position yeah. to make. And then I think it was a, a couple months later, Erwan uh, sent us an email. I remember it, it was on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m., and it was like, hey, we have Haley Bieber. You in? <laughs> and wow. by 9.09 a.m., I'm telling you, we were able to commit back that, that we were in. So, you know, right. that one obviously went even more viral. And we've been, you know, just a, a more and more of a strong partner with Erwan ever, ever since. So. And does it, does it translate? I mean, do you guys sell D2C? We do not sell D2C today, but we will right. start selling D2C in Q1. We're coming out with a shelf-stable Tetra um, version uh, in, in February. Right. Okay, because one of the things is like, you know, the virality, mm-hmm. you know, it's great, obviously, when it when it boosts sales at Air One. Mm-hmm. The idea would be like to then capitalize on that even further and see if it can maybe boost sales everywhere else or at least yeah. on your you know own channels well, and, so and I would yeah. I would say I and again it's really tough to tie it in one to one um right, right. With, with that a specific event but what I will say is that our sales in LA even outside of Air One we have uh, Ralph's right which is a Kroger division mm-hmm. um our our sales at, at Ralph's improved um, so our right. velocities at Ralph improved. Our velocities at Gelson's yeah. improved. So the entire yeah. market in that area saw pretty strong um, sales increase, velocity increase uh, post post Air One smoothies, and yeah. and we've done a lot of them. I mean, 
We have, uh, we've committed again in 2024 to do an entire year program with Erwan and these smoothies. Um, yeah. It's because it's, it's such a cool, it's, it's a cool program. Yeah. And again, it is a partnership with marketing and Erwan's made it very clear that they own the relationship with the celebrities and we yeah. own the relationship with them. And, 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 <laughs> you know, and there's, there's a lot of trust that goes into that, that you have to be willing yeah. to kind of, you know, let, let go of the reins, but you know, we trust them and they've been a really, yeah. really good partner of ours. And, and that's why we continue to do it. I mean, part of the reason, you know, it's like, it, it feels like it makes sense, right? It's, right? It is your perfect consumer. It's mm-hmm. a market that makes sense. It's a use case for the product that makes a lot of sense, right? right? Like that's what a lot of people are using, mm-hmm. you know, the milks for, so, or the yep. milks for. <laughs> um, so, you know, there there is like an, a, a nice alignment. I can see people thinking, this is really expensive. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, you would be blown away with the volume that that tonic bar does. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's amazing. not and because it's not just the smoothies. You're in the smoothies, but then you're also you know in in the latte. You're the you're the almond milk of choice in mm-hmm. in the coffee. So it's not yeah. just about the smoothies. It's so much bigger than that. The smoothies yeah. are just a really kind of fun way to you know to c- continue to build excitement around the brand. Yeah, no, it's it's very cool. Okay, seasonal skews. <laughs> Um, I see the nog. I, I, it looks delicious. I happen mm-hmm. to love eggnog, so I'm definitely going to be trying it. Um, I had a conversation with John Lawson from Whole Foods in the Northeast many years ago mm-hmm. because I had a moment where we made a cranberry sauce. This was very early days. It was like way too soon. My whole team was like, please, dear God, no. <laughs> It was such an d- abysmal, it, we even forgot that like honey wasn't vegan. So the, the thing said vegan and then we had to sticker over all, I mean, it, Lord. we had so much leftover from, yep. it was just a nightmare. Yep. And I remember John Lawson saying to me, why would you, why would you make a whole other skew? Why don't you just show people what to do with chimichurri on Thanksgiving? And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Thank you. And yeah. he was right. I mean, for me, with our with our supply chain and how long it takes and how many pouches we need to order, I don't think a seasonal skew makes any sense. It certainly mm-hmm. does for the beverage world. It certainly does for the coffee world, you know, the mm-hmm. spice world. Um, yeah. But I'd like to hear your learnings, you know, yeah. on Nog. And I have a lot of them. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and th- this is this is the part of the the program where I get to tell you not everything is sunshine and rainbows. Uh, and the the reason we we wanted to move forward with the seasonals because seasonals have, especially in our category, right in in milk and creamers, they have a really good opportunity to be at the cross section of innovation and nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you, you get to create that connection with the consumer that is that's very valuable. You know, they're, they're bringing it home to their family in the holidays and, it, and, it, and they relate it to Christmas and it's um, and it's fun and, and it's innovation. Yeah. But I, I learned that it takes a whole lot more than a killer product yeah. to deliver a successful seasonal program. I learned that projections are not commitments. Mm. Um, we will not produce moving forward a single case over a commitment at the time of projection. If we don't have a commitment, then they, you know, that retailer misses the window. Sorry. Um, 
I, you know, learned that, and this was, this was a big learning for me. I, I did not really know, and my team did not know that distributors don't treat seasonals from an inventory perspective the same way that they treat everyday items. So seasonal items are not open stock items where any, anyone can kind of just come oh. in, any independent can come in and order inventory. Huh. It doesn't, doesn't work like they that. They have to be like spoken for? So there has right. to be planned demand. So right. Whole Foods needs to come in and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm ordering 5,000 cases. Right. And then that, that causes the distributor to say, okay, Malk, I'm placing a PO for 5,000 cases. Yep. They will not go out and say, oh, okay, you know, Whole Foods is coming on. There's a projected demand. I'm mm-hmm. going to order 7,000 and then Whole Foods will take five and all right, independents, go ahead, right. you, know, f- go, you know, order the remaining two. So there was a lot, a lot of that that we experienced that was um, that made it very, very difficult to flush out, yeah. uh, you know, in inventory um, of product that we absolutely could have sold. Like we we know it right. was it was a it was a hit. You know, it was Whole Foods is sold out already. Yeah, no, <laughs> they're sold out and they're not ordering more. Yeah, so I mean, like, well, oh my God. it's you know, I think that the one massive thing that I would you know when I talk to brands that are a step or two kind of behind where we are mm-hmm. is like I think what you said goes for everything like it takes yeah. a lot more than a killer product there are a lot of great products and yeah. in this system I mean you know better than me coming from Dean like you have to be scalable in order for it to make sense and there has Absolutely. to be enough sold in order, and I guess that's where it goes back to is the marketing play of living on that intersection of innovation and nostalgia or just like fun and innovation. You know, maybe, and, and I mean, I, I've interviewed, you know, Ari Raz from Coconut Cult and, mm-hmm. you know, Jing, they do seasonal stuff, but they're D to C primarily and they, they sell those directly and they make what they're not even playing with the UNFI, KHE and Whole Foods on their seasonal stuff or on their like smart LTOs because it, by the time they get the commitment, the thing is over and the fad has gone yeah. and then it's done, you know? And, yeah. and, but I think, and going back to the other thing you said, which is projections aren't commitment. I'm finding that just in real life, not even like about right. a seasonal, you know? I mean, right. Again, the retailers, I think what's confusing to what's confusing to people these days is, you know, again, with no no blame on them. Like they they think yeah. the reset's February, then they think the reset's May, then it's maybe April and now it's June. And, you know, for the smaller brands, when we have a co-packer that we have to commit to an MOQ for yeah. or, you know, we've built our our demand plan and, and we've ordered, let's say ingredients or they've started to order, you know, ingredients or we've ordered packaging or anything like that, you know, you, you could end up with like a lot of stuff that you need to get rid of, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge risk for brands and products with shorter shelf life. I mean, Malk is, Malk is, is lucky and, you know, we've got a really great ops team and our ESL processing gives us a, a 365 day off the line shelf life, which is which is great. Um, but I've def, I've worked on brands where it's 
it's 90 days off the line, it's got to get shipped over the water, and then the distributor requires this, and that you're literally working with you know, three or four days of, yeah. of getting it from, you know, from the boat to, to a DC and then the DC to the retailer. And it's, hence why it's I'm launching a shelf stable product. Yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I, I have like bags under my eyes and I'm yeah. like, this is chimichurri and yeah. this is Jim Dermy. So, and you know, and it's funny because at the beginning, and of course it's innovative and of course it's better for you. And of course it's the cleanest sauce there is literally it's yeah. what you would make yeah. at home, but because of HPP, it has, you know, some shelf life in the refrigerator. It's right. not, it's, 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 it, everyone was like, why fresh? You know, and I'm like, because that's what consumers want. That is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. But it doesn't necessarily work in the in the infrastructure that we currently have. And right. what maybe could have worked, I just feel like now, again, with all of the external factors that are going on, it, you know, it just got harder. It got harder yeah. and harder. And um, you can tell that I'm, you know, my little fresh pouch is definitely, you know, she's like the engine that could, but I got to say, I'm looking forward to having, you know, someone who can run a little faster, a little lighter, you know, Absolutely. She's not carrying a, a 30 pound weight on her little back. <laughs> I don't know why I've personified the pouch, but I have. I love it. <laughs> um, all right, I a couple more minutes. I guess, you know, where do you see you're on LinkedIn, you're looking at stuff. What mm-hmm. what do you think what do you wish that you could just tell all the sales teams, all the founders, all the different brands like where do you see the industry? You've been in here, you know, a long time. Like what are your words of wisdom, I guess? Oh Lord, <laughs> that's, that's, that's scary. Um, no, I would, to me, I mean, it, it's, it starts with, you know, obviously you, you, you have to have a killer product and you have to be filling a real, um, consumer need, you know, not, not a, not a fake marketing or packaging mm-hmm. need. So, you know, you, you start with a killer product and then you, you build a killer team that, as a company, you prioritize culture, you prioritize autonomy, you, um, you, you deliver results, um, and you mean it. You know, I, I, we've all been a part of companies where you know, values are, are talked about on, on, on slide one of a PowerPoint at the beginning of the year, and then they're talked about at the all-hands meeting on you know, December, <laughs> December right. whatever at the end of the year, and then you know, no one can recite them at all throughout the year. And so I think there's, there's values in action that I think are really important. And I think the more that you can live those values every day, um, you're, you're, you're going to build a team that wins. Anything that you do when you're looking with, you know, at candidates or for candidates, like, is there anything particular that you feel like is your secret hiring sauce? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, um, I never take the candidate's word for it. I always ask for examples of their work. If they need to redact it, redact it. But you know, if you're a if you're a sales director, show me show me a recent line review uh, deck that you did and, and highlight the you know the 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 key insights that you delivered. How did it go? You know, tell me about that. 
um, you know, to really see how they think about the business. And if it's, if it's, if it's strategic, that's amazing. And if it, if it looks like a, a broker just put together a, you know, a templated, here's the, here's the picture crop of a Excel spreadsheet. That's just not, that's right. just not it for me. So, um, and I think once I, once I feel comfortable that, you know, this candidate, the salesperson can perform at a high level, I, I always try to ask myself, but I, would I feel comfortable getting a stuck in an elevator with them? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Wait, I always say stuck in a mine shaft. Do you really? That's amazing. My, my litmus for everything, everything. That's so funny that you say that. Yeah. And I, it's not just people that I work with. It's like candidates or like yep. the bachelorette. Like I'm literally totally. like, what would this person be like in a mine shaft? I've never seen a mine shaft. I've never, thank God, fallen down a mine shaft, but it's the same question. Yeah. All the, you know, all and, the and, traveling and, yeah. we do, all the trade shows, all the late yep. nights. My, I can't imagine doing that with someone I, I don't enjoy being around. And so, you know, it's got to be yeah. a, a balance of, of those things. They obviously need to deliver the result, but can you, can you see yourself working with this person yeah. every day? No, I think that's a really great way to finish it off. And I think that a lot of people, you know, we all hear hire slow, fire fast, oh, for sure. right? Like yep. that is the mantra. And yet I, I cannot tell you how many founders mm-hmm. I talked to hired fast because they were, they thought they needed to, or they mm-hmm. thought they were going to miss something, or they thought they were going to mess something up, or they right. were going to miss an opportunity. And, you know, it, it it ends up biting them. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and I mean, everyone, you know, everyone, you know, makes some mistakes. Of course. Uh, you know, things that are aligned aren't aligned and, you know. Um, all right. Well, this was amazing. I cannot thank you enough. I knew it was going to be a really good interview. <laughs> thank I you. I took so many notes. Now I'm thinking like, what am I going to name it? <laughs> Building... Building what? Um, but Adria, thank you so much for coming on the show and congrats on all the success and on your new promotion, thank which you. I saw on LinkedIn. And um, have a great holiday. Thank you, you. Thanks. And H, as always, thank you for your engineering and your eye. What are they? Pods? What are the things in your ear? Ear pods? Yeah. Um, prowess. <laughs> And um, obviously, I couldn't do this without you, the other engineers and Heritage Radio Network and listeners. Um, One more episode this season. And as always, I appreciate all of your feedback and all of your comments. Um, And thank you for listening. And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.